As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Protesters descended on the state capitol in Madison today, fighting the safer at home order. These kind of draconian restrictions, we're going to destroy the very fabric of the society that has been so stable and so good for so many people for so long. Let the business owners do their thing. They're intelligent people. They don't want people to be sick. Give them a chance. Let's have some confidence in our business community. The chair of the Wisconsin Democrats defends the order. Gathering for large in-person protests might not be as dangerous as drinking bleach, but it can spread infections, cost lives, and delay the point at which it's safe to reopen the economy. I want to let you guys know that you're not alone in how you feel. Where the hell is the federal response for places like Wisconsin? If we can't test, we can't open up. We don't need people going around the Capitol with funny flags and signs this week. We need the president to get reagents and test kits and personal protection equipment that we've asked for. Not concerned with social distancing, 1,500 people gathered in Madison last week to protest Governor Tony Evers' extension of the stay-at-home order. What do these protests mean? How should reporters cover them? And where do things go from here? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, here once again with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Brian. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We're bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through all of this ongoing coronavirus news. We're recording this episode on Monday morning, April 27th, and we have Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi on the phone. Hi, Jason. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, Jason, take us back to Friday as protesters started to gather in Madison. What did you think was going to happen leading up to all that? And how did that compare to what actually happened? Well, I had a lot of questions going in because we just we really didn't know this is all uh, all this all the pre- planning for these pro- this protest was online and there were 12,000 people that had expressed interest on Facebook. Uh, we weren't sure what, what were 12,000 people going to show up. Were there people that were going to show up who didn't express interest because they didn't want to have their name out on social media? I mean, there's so many questions about the total numbers that were going to show up. And at the end of the day, uh, Capitol Police had estimated about 1,500 had shown up. So, of course, there were 12,000 that said they were interested, 1,500, according to Capitol Police, packing in to the green outside of the Capitol in Madison on Friday. So that was one of the big questions we had going in. Of course, uh, Capitol Police did not issue a permit going into this rally. Uh, an organizer had requested one for a rough estimate of 1,000 protesters, and Capitol Police said because of the safer at-home order, they could not issue that permit. So we were wondering, well, would, would the 
there be conflict with the protesters in the Capitol Police? Would there be arrests made? Because, uh, you know, according to the the order, the Safer at Home order, there are uh, fines listed for potential violation of, of the order, including a fine of uh, $250 or even jail time, 30 days imprisonment, it lists in that order from the health secretary designee. So there's questions about, well, are people going to be arrested? Uh, and I know ahead of time, Capitol Police said, you know, one of their missions is to protect people's civil liberties. And, and a good day is when no one is arrested. And that is exactly what we saw on Friday. No, no arrests made by Capitol Police for this rally on Friday. Jason, what kinds of people were at this rally? And by that, I mean, were people pretty unified in their viewpoint? Did you have a, a spectrum of protesters who had different concerns there? Definitely a lot of uh, diversity in, in the group. So you you saw people that uh, were speaking about religion and how they wanted to have their churches opened up again, because right now there's no no gatherings. So, so the churches right now, a lot of them are doing digital services, uh, virtual services on Facebook or other live streaming services. So there, that was one that was one group is sort of, I would say, the you know, the religious uh, religious folks. And there was others that were talking a lot about uh, the constitutional rights to to petition the government or, or assemble free speech, and so then you had people that were, uh, pu- you know, pushing that message in their in their signs and in their statements when we, we when we would interview them. We'd also see people that were fighting for businesses, saying that right now our businesses in Wisconsin are suffering because they can't be open. Uh, think about your your barber shops, your bars, your your restaurants, all those uh, you know hospitality industry, all those places where where right now are just shut down because of the safer home at safer at home order. So you had a lot of people that were speaking about the business ramifications. Then you had, you know, a smaller group where you saw people with signs uh, saying, you know, this is sort of... uh challenging maybe the science of this all, I would say. That was a smaller group. So you definitely had people speaking about religion. You had people talking about businesses and and sort of stabilizing the business and the economy. You had other people that were questioning maybe the science of of, um, the coronavirus pandemic and, you know, challenging whether this is uh, something that we really should be fearing. Jason, before this uh, protest happened, but when people were talking about it, I had a viewer who said you need to go on this group page uh, for a group of people who were like-minded talking about uh, the protest of this extended stay-at-home order. That viewer invited me to join the group. They said, you've got to see what's being said in here because there's some stuff you really ought to be reporting. So I joined the group. I was immediately accepted. I wasn't asked any questions. And I observed. And one, one of the things I found really interesting was there were a couple of threads of people talking about showing up, as we saw, uh, with open carry, bringing guns and, and protesting. And what, what I found really interesting is within this group of what seemed to be overall like-minded people, like-minded in their opposition to the extended stay uh, safer at home order, uh, there was quite a bit of disagreement over whether or not that was a good approach. Some felt, folks, this isn't a second amendment rally, leave your guns at home, or if you bring them, you know, and you've got a concealed carry license, great, you don't have to tell anybody about it. There were others who said, this is government overreach and we need to, to, to make a statement. Did you see at the rally itself if there was any of that sort of conflict among those who said, folks, wrong rally, wrong time, and, and those who said, no, this, this is important for us to, to make this, this display? Yes, I exactly saw that at, at play. Uh, at the very end of the day, I was taking a photo of three young men with their with their long guns. Uh, I, 
I, I'm not exactly a, a gun expert, so I don't know the particular type of gun that they were holding, but uh, they were all three of them were holding long guns. And uh, and then at the same time, a car drove by of, a, of other protesters and they were yelling at these three young men with the guns and saying, hey, you know, you're giving you're giving, uh, in their words, the liberal media uh, fodder here. You know, you, this is not what we want to be represented with people storming the Capitol and guns. We want to be seen as a peaceful protest and, you know, leave your guns at home. That's exactly what I heard protesters challenging the three young men with the with the guns. And, and yes, we did see again and again um, scattered. I, I wouldn't say it was the majority. It was you know, 12, 15, maybe tops of 20 people that I saw with long guns visibly uh, out at the rally on Friday. So it was definitely a, a, a small minority that had the guns, but it definitely was a debate. As you said beforehand, I was speaking with one of the uh, one of the men who is uh, one of the leaders on one of these Facebook groups uh, talking about, and I, I spoke to him, and he, he was urging people to leave the guns at home. He, he said it would be a distraction. Of course, you know, people take pictures of this. They post it on Facebook, and, and that's the one image that people see of the rally is people with long guns. So uh, that was his concern going into it. We definitely saw it on Friday with, with people bringing some, some uh, weapons uh, to the rally. And again, to show, um, I think their message was government overreach, as you said, and they, they wanted to say, hey, we are standing up to, to the government. Uh, and uh, so that was definitely a debate amongst the protesters going into the rally on Friday, and it was uh, played out uh, on the streets as well. We, and you were talking about speaking to one of the organizers. Who was behind this protest? Because we've seen a lot of national coverage about the organization of several of these protests in different states. Yeah, so you had a lot of different elements going on here with uh, with this protest. There were several Facebook groups, which, which Brian and I were just speaking about, that were pushing the rally. So there was a lot of promotion going on to get to get the, the numbers up on, on the rally. So, for example, you saw talk radio hosts uh, Vicki McKenna posting and, and, and uh, keeping a list of, of people that were uh, events going on across the state. Uh, you saw uh, Madison Elmer, who, who is, uh, you know, just said that she was concerned about this. And, and so, you know, you, you saw a lot of people um, trying to uh, to figure out what they should do. So you saw a, a small, smaller rallies in places like Brookfield but then this was sort of the bigger one. It was, you know, planned weeks in advance. And so that was that was you know, the biggest rally. Everybody's kind of putting all of their emphasis on on trying to get the numbers up for that rally on uh, last Friday in Madison. But you also saw, you know, outside groups as well that were promoting sort of this reopen message. So you had uh, groups affiliated with like the Tea Party. So you had Tea Party Patriots and Freedom Works pushing a message of reopen. And that kind of riled up the base, you know, to, to come out. Um, Maybe not particularly to this rally, but just in general to to make their voices heard in the public sphere some way or another. And of course, you had President Trump who on Twitter was urging liberate. Now, he didn't send out a tweet about liberating Wisconsin, but he did for some of the other uh, neighbor, some of our neighboring states, uh, liberate Michigan, liberate Minnesota. So there was, you know, this groundswell on on social media of people kind of pushing that reopen message. And this is where, hey, if you wanted to have your voice heard, then, you know, you had people like talk radio saying this is where you should go to, to do that on Friday. I think, Jason, it's really interesting to 
look at protests in recent years in Wisconsin and and then you know it's it's always tempting to compare protests and and if you think back to Act 10 in 2011 Wisconsin really hasn't seen anything like that in modern times in terms of the crush of people that surrounded the Capitol and in fact entered the Capitol and stayed there for for days and weeks on end that was something that I think will always stand out in the minds of, of people who were here through that time in Wisconsin uh, you had the Tea Party protests not long after that um, which uh, you know brought a, a large number of people to the Capitol in this case you pointed out there were 12,000 people in one of these groups that had expressed interest in going, but only an estimate of around 1,500, according to Capitol Police, who were there. This is a unique situation because it's not just a protest, but the protest itself is of something that has to do with safety and being around other people and whether or not we should be able to be around one another. That seems to be a really unique element here. Did it affect even how you cover an event like this? Yes, it, it definitely impacted how we covered this event. I mean, one of the things that we, you know, going in, our, our managers had said is safety first. You know, you have to be safe here because the public health officials are telling us you, you got to stay six feet away from people. You have to wear a face covering. So we we practiced that. We 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 did wear our face coverings. We we tried to keep our distance from people. We we stayed along the edges. We did try to get our interviews in with people and uh, you know try to figure out why are people coming out and and you know what what is their main message to be here. What is their message? They're trying to send to the state and to the governor so we tried to interview people we tried to stay on 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 the edges of the rally so so to keep our distance and also our safety um, at one point you know we were somebody with a bullhorn had had started uh you know harassing us and just saying that we were part of the fake news that's that was his quote and he he continued following us we kept we kept pushing back pushing back and that was kind of the end of unfortunately the end of our uh experience with trying to get as many interviews as possible because he was kind of interrupting us. We were interviewing one person and he, he continued to, to get on the bullhorn after we asked our first question and seemed to be a respectful interview, but it was kind of disappointing that we weren't able to continue that interview with this young man uh, talking about why he was out there today. That reminds me a lot of, from, from the opposite side, a lot of the experience we had covering the Act 10 protests because that at that time, the, the politics of the people who were assembled were a little bit different than this, but we were wearing our blue fox jackets, fox six jackets, but the word fox at that time was considered by the people who were there because they associated us with Fox News to be a pejorative. So we, we got a lot of harassment, but what was so different at that time was we were able to embed ourselves right within the throngs of thousands and get right in the middle. And I think as a journalist covering something like this, that's really how you want to do it. You want to be in the middle of the action and say, okay, what's going on inside here in the heart of the beast? But you really couldn't do that here. It sounds like you had to sort of cover this from the fringe. Was it, that, that must have been a challenge. Yeah, it was challenging. It's not the way we normally would want to cover an event, but it is in the midst of this unprecedented situation of, 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 of a pandemic, right? We would normally be in the midst like you did with Act 10, where, of course, you were getting, you were getting challenged on, by, by people uh, against Act 10 at that time. And we were challenged at least by this one person uh, support, supporting getting rid of the safer at home order. So, uh, but... Again and again, um, 
you know, people were respectful. They were they they wanted to share their message with us. And uh, but again, we would have wanted to be in the middle of that protest, right in the heart of where the speakers were. But just to keep our distance, we we needed to to you know be on the peripheries there uh, on Friday. And uh, I think we were still able to get a good sample. Uh, I wish we would have had a, a lot more. Uh, there, one of the one of the groups I wanted to talk with was I, I did see a number of parents there uh, with small children and without any facial coverings at all. And I wanted to ask them, you know. Are you worried about their safety, things like that? But because we had to push back, I wasn't able to uh, to get those those uh, interviews. So if anybody listening to this podcast was one of those parents out there on Friday with the small children, there was dozens and dozens of you. Uh, please uh, shoot me a message. I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts on on why you decided to bring your children out and uh, if you were worried about your safety and kind of what your message was to the to the state leadership. There's been a lot of talk lately about the journalism ethics of covering these kinds of protests, these kinds of rallies. I know Brian and I this morning were talking about an opinion piece in Pointer that suggested even scaling back coverage of those protests. And and I know what I think about it. I know what you think about it, Brian. But Jason, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on that and any issues you were wrestling with from a journalism ethics standpoint when you were putting your stories together. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is a an interesting question to, to think about in, in that the public health officials say don't go into crowds um, are we are we encouraging people by by being there to cover it are we encouraging people to to um, put themselves at risk possibly that's that's a question I, I don't have an answer for that but that that's something that we have to wrestle with in our newsrooms across the across the country and I think that's what pointers asking as well um, and also I think pointers pointing to the the small number who are supporting these um, are opposed to the safer at home orders or, or, say, or stay at home orders in other states, as they're called. Um, so I was looking at the statistics here on this. Right, um, according to the Marquette poll in April, it was put out April first, and they found 86% of Wisconsinites thought it was uh, appropriate to close businesses, to close schools. I think the timing of that's extremely important because April first is before the extension of the stay at home order was announced. Yeah, and exactly. And, and we saw that the timing there is so important because we saw the Republican leadership here in the state. They didn't put up a fight with the original safer at home order. It was only when this was extended all the way through May 26th that all of a sudden these protests started. The, the Republican leaders sued all the way to the state Supreme Court. Uh, it was really a flurry of activity after the extension for a whole other month. It was supposed to end. The original Wisconsin safer at home order was supposed to end on Friday, and it, it was extended all the way through May 26th. Of course, the state Supreme Court will be if if uh, the health secretary designee overstepped her, her legal authority there, uh, that'll be something for the courts to decide. But uh, yeah, you see, saw this groundswell. But just looking at the stats, I mean, 86% April 1st supported it. I don't know what the numbers are right now for Wisconsin, but you do see in some of the most recent polls from AP and others that you know the large percentage does do support um, you know keeping these businesses closed. But does that mean that you don't? cover the minority viewpoint. I don't think so. I think you still cover the fact that there are 1,500 people protesting in Madison. They, they're, they're, they're saying they're representing the economy, the business interests, the churches. They're, they're representing not all of them, of course. Uh, you know, the archbishop here is, is, uh, has closed and even shut down uh, uh, parking lot masses, which the governor has allowed. Um, so, so, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of debate to be had, and that's what we do. We, we present both sides of the story. We present here's what the Democrats are saying. Here's what the Republicans are saying. Here's what those who want to open the government are saying. Here's what those who say it needs to stay closed for another month are saying. I think that's our job. 
job to present both sides and let the people decide, right? I'm of the mindset that we can't bury our heads in the sand and pretend something isn't happening just because it doesn't represent the viewpoint of the majority of people. Context is important. And Jason, I think you did a great job of presenting that context in your coverage. You didn't just show what the protesters were saying. You gave backstory. You showed what else is happening on the edges. You showed the response to that. And that's the way we responsibly cover these issues. But part of our job is to be the gatekeeper. We have a lot of power in controlling what people see and what they don't see. And in my mindset, it it would be a, a terrible mistake to pretend that a protest of 1,500 people, which is still a sizable protest, wasn't happening. Well, and, and, and Amanda, you know, I've talked to you about this before we got on the air, but um, actually, I think the, the, the point of view uh, that was uh, put out by Pointer, I think, is in fact, uh, in my view, journalistic malpractice. The idea, it's one thing to say, and I think this is very important as journalists, we were taught this from the beginning, from our very young days, that when you cover a protest of any type, that you need to give it context. And you need to, if there are six people walking in a circle, don't shoot it in a way with close-ups that makes it look like there were 600. <laughs> right. Um, you show the wide shots to see, yep, there were only six people there. If there are 15, that's why we love aerials at protests. You get an idea of scale and size. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the point of view is more or less important based on the size, but you want people to have a fair and, and reasonable, transparent idea of what was really going on. Now, Pointer's point was that this, uh, the coverage of these ongoing uh, protests has been outsized for the number of people that point of view represents. And, and I'm not sure um, if that's, if that becomes, I think, a dangerous area, I think, for journalists to start to determine, is this protest's point of view, or the, are these protesters' point of view important enough, or do they represent enough of a percentage of the public's viewpoint for us to give it uh, ongoing coverage. I think that becomes a very slippery slope as you know, our job, as, as you said, Jason, our job is to tell. Our job is to describe the scene, tell people what's going on, share those points of view, share the opposing points of view and let our viewers decide. And, and I think so long as these protests go on, if, if in fact there is a professional organization that's putting these together, if there is money being pumped into the promotion of them, then that's also our job to cover that, to ferret that out, to point that out to people so so our viewers know where it's coming from. But the suggestion that we should stop covering any kind of protest, whether it's this one, the Tea Party, Act 10, Black Lives Matter, I think is a, is a really dangerous spot for journalists or a dangerous road to go down. And, and I think that is not the viewpoint shared by most journalists practicing today. Jason, in terms of where things go from here, what are we looking at? Was this protest a one and done blip on the radar? Is there any indication that there's more to come from this? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things you you had mentioned, the people organizing and you asked about that, you know, one of the people that was promoting or at least, you know, speaking favorably about these protest movements across the country was Stephen Moore. I don't know if you remember, he was, he was, you know, a conservative at the Heritage Foundation, but he was also, President Trump had at one point suggested he was going to be, uh, Stephen Moore was going to, uh, he was going to nominate Stephen Moore to the, to the Fed. And there was outcry by even, uh, you, you know, conservative economists and, and things like that. So that nomination was sunk, uh, didn't even go forward, uh, in the Senate. But, um, uh, Stephen Moore, he, he had said that, 
you know, one of the points of these protests is to change public opinion. So, you know, they, they have a rally in Madison. They, they get a lot of media coverage. You know, we all covered it. The newspapers covered it. The TV stations, the Fox 6 covered it. You know, it, it, they say, you know, it helps change the public opinion. I don't know. I mean, it seems like there was a, they, they were getting a lot of backlash um, on, on social media. People saying, how come you're not wearing masks? How come there's children here? Um, does it help their cause? I don't know. I'll let the people decide. We'll report. They can decide. But one of the things we're, we're really watching for in the next few days this week is the state Supreme Court weighing whether to, uh, to side with the state Republican leadership in uh, rejecting Governor Evers, uh, his health secretary designee's uh, emergency order here extending out the stay-at-home order um, through through May 26th. So that's one thing we're watching. But there are going to be some smaller protests. There's going to be another one in Brookfield. There was one a few Saturdays ago in Brookfield, uh, Wisconsin. So we'll, we'll watch for those. Uh, people are you know fired up. They they that's what happens when you go to a rally. You, you're with uh, people that believe many of the same things you believe, and it kind of fires you up. So we definitely saw after the rally people saying, how can I, how can I go forward from here? What, what can they do to, to get this message out there? Will it spark a change in public opinion? We looked at some of those polls from Marquette before, you know, obviously way earlier in the month, but, but will this lead to more and more people saying it's time to open up the businesses? We are looking at the Chamber of Commerce saying, you know, putting forward a proposal to open up the business earlier. You're seeing the Tavern League, a very uh, powerful uh, entity here in Wisconsin, uh, saying they would like to see the bars opened up, uh, the taverns opened up uh, earlier in May. So you're seeing a lot of the business community and business does speak. uh, Truth uh, does speak uh, to the powerful here in Wisconsin. So we'll see if that helps move things along a little bit more quickly. But again, my eyes, my attention right now, state Supreme Court to see what they're going to do on this uh, emergency uh, uh, order. It's interesting. We are now about, what, six weeks into uh, Safer at Home, and and there are four weeks left of the extended order. So there's a lot of tension, a lot of, um, uh, you know, the, the, there was, you know, the, the protests Friday. There's, there's a lot of concern over should businesses begin to open now? In what way is that going to happen? And if you really look at it, by the time a lot of these decisions are made, the time's going to run out on the clock. Now, I know I know those four weeks may be make or break for some of these small businesses. So it's not to say those four weeks are insignificant, but it is interesting that we are more than halfway through even the, uh, the extended version of this order now. At some point, life is going to return to something closer to what it once was. The question is, how are we going to get there? And even then, what's going to be happening with COVID-19? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just so many unanswered questions right now. And, and, and a lot of us just looking to to the health professionals, the health, uh, public health officials. And but I think there is going to be this robust debate and conversation about about how to open up the businesses. And that was one of the messages from the protesters, right, that let the businesses decide, let them, you know, let them figure out a way to keep their patrons safe, whether it's uh, the craft store or whether it's the, the local bar. Is there some way that they can open on their own? to keep their people safe and and not you know put people in the hospital of course the other side uh, the the chairman of the democratic party in wisconsin you know he said uh you know that this was going to lead to spreading infections and costing lives. So I think it, it's important that we really try to weigh this, this such a serious issue on both sides: um, businesses, the economy, free speech. You know, free. You know, all the constitutional rights plus p- keeping people safe, and that is really the crux of the of the debate. How do you, how do you how do you balance all of that? And and I don't think we have an answer to that. We're we're just waiting to see 
what people in the state decide, the leadership, the Supreme Court, and uh, the business leaders as well. No matter what, we are still in the midst of a pandemic, and that means we're going to be continuing to bring you more frequent episodes of Open Record. And it, we want to remind you all, if there's a topic that you want us to talk about, we are uh, covering all sorts of issues as we go through this, but we want to hear from you. So if there's something you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, we really do encourage you to email us at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That is T-H-E, investigators at fox6now.com. Thanks, Jason, for joining us again. I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for having me on. And thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.